the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. The goal, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. And now, your hosts, Bill Eliff and Kyle Reno. Well, welcome to the One Cry Podcast. Uh, we're so glad you're joining us today. And I'm Bill Eliff and joined by Kyle Reno. And uh, Kyle, great to see you this morning. Man, excited to be together. Always yeah. fun and love what God's doing to this podcast. It's it's really neat. And uh, God is uh, expanding it in some really yeah. cool ways. We'll tell about that yeah. maybe in a future podcast. But uh, Kyle, today we're, we're talking about stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I love to tell stories. You I, do. He's a storyteller. The staff said to me one time in a meeting, I was telling some tale and they said, you know, Bill, if you don't know a story about any topic, you just make it <laughs> make up. Make it one up. <laughs> and uh, there's probably some truth yeah. to that. You got a lot of stories, too. I do. I do. And life's full of them, right? Oh, yeah. There's, there's always stories from the past, current, and the and even stories that are still to be written. But, mm-hmm. you know, having a large family, you yeah. got all kinds. Most of your stories are around your kids. So I'll give you right. one of my most recent stories. A so, fresh one? A fresh one. So <laughs> uh, I have a six-year-old, and, and when he was actually five, it was time to get some shots. Yeah. And, you know, when kids are, like, young, they don't quite know what's coming. Mm-hmm. But as they get older, when you go to the doctor's office and they're not sick, Mm-hmm. They know that hey this this is not good yeah. this is not good so Abel um, my six year old now he knew as we were going this is a shot day mm-hmm. so he walked in with the game face on like <laughs> I can't believe you brought me here you're, you're doing this you're to doing me. this to me do you not love me you yeah. know kind of moment so we get in there sure enough he's got to get a few shots and and the the sweet nurse comes in and she's trying to prep him and, and he looks at me just he goes i ain't getting one <laughs> i'm like i mean you are yeah. <laughs> you are buddy and so the ladies can see he's real tense and she just leans over and she he's getting two shots mm-hmm. that day and she says now baby when you get these two shots i'm going to give you two suckers and he looks dead into her soul six years old six years old dead in her soul and says woman <laughs> He never said that. He said, woman, I don't want your suckers. <laughs> and she loses her mind. And, and and I'm thinking, like, first of all, you don't ever talk to somebody that way. No, we're gonna yeah, have you're you're going to get more than shots yeah. in, in a second. So we calm down. But I thought, I can't wait to tell him that story later in life yeah you know, as, as a as a grown man yeah and you'll probably tell it to him when his son does the same thing one day <laughs> right. you know so well you know it's it's interesting there's always a story but there's always a backstory right you know there's a reason uh that that we are the way we are that we say the things we do right. uh and i was thinking about this just in terms of revival mm-hmm. uh there's a famous saying that you'll hear uh, people say a lot of times uh, that the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. Right. So, uh, and another another statement is that revival really travels on the wings of testimony mm. of people who have a, a new story. Uh, but that story often comes out of weakness and pain and difficulty, and 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 then God comes in. You know, mm-hmm. you have that, but God. 
right. intervention, that those but God moments. And then it changes the story, the trajectory of the story mm-hmm. uh, completely. So let's talk about that for just a few minutes. Uh, I, I want to read a little passage to you from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, Paul says it like this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And if we're afflicted, Paul said, it's for you. It's for your comfort. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort in salvation or we're, if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective, comes through the enduring of our sufferings. So there's this cycle. I call it the cycle of ministry training, if you would. It's this, this pathway that God takes us through to develop a life message in us so that we can share it with others to see lives changed. And if you think of how a nation is changed, just think about good or bad. How a nation has changed it is that a, a, a person or a group of people through experiences become deeply convictional, uh, good or bad. They become deeply convictional, and then they tell others so that they can be the same. I, I recently read uh, a blog by Kevin DeYoung, uh, and he was talking about the homosexual agenda. Now listen to this. I'm going to read this quote. It's worth remembering, he said, David Wells' famous definition, worldliness is whatever makes righteousness look strange and sin look normal. An amazing statement. Here's the reality facing every Christian in the West. The money, power, prestige of the mainstream media, big-time sports, big business, big tech, and almost all the institutions of education and entertainment are invested in making sin look normal. Wow. And they've done an impressive job. And we've seen our nation change so that things we we wouldn't even mention years ago, or we would certainly blush at, uh, are just normal now. And not only normal, uh, they're applauded now, right? So revival, when revival happens, is the opposite of that, but the same process. God doing a work in some people that they become deeply convictional about Christ, about his goodness, about the Father, about our need for him, about our own sin, and then we're willing to tell others our own story so that they can experience that too. And this is what he's talking about in this passage. So, so notice, I'm going to draw a little, a little circle, if you would, and we'll, we'll, we'll put it here on the video screen so you can see it. But at the top of that, at about 12 o'clock, we, I want to put the word pressure. So he says in verse 4, he talks about our afflictions. And that, that word, if you kind of study it out, really means crushing pressure. In other words, Paul said, I was afflicted. I had crushing pressure. I had a weight that happened to me. This could come through others. 
It could come through circumstances. It could come through temptations. It could come through my own sin that, that just crushes me, that weighs me down. I've often thought about how you break a horse, and uh, not to go in great detail, but what happens is you put increasing levels of pressure on that horse. You put the bit, the bridle, you put the, you put the uh, blanket, you put the saddle, you cinch it up, you grab hold of the reins. All of those are pressures that that horse doesn't want in his life. He didn't choose in his life, but they come to his life. Now, for the believer, when those pressures come in our life, you can do one of two things. You can run to yourself and your resources, or you can run to Christ. And Paul said that when the pressure came, he said, it was so that I could be comforted by God. Now, don't uh, get rid of your, uh, you know, our, your modern definitions of the word comfort. This word means to come alongside and lift the load. In other words, I run to Christ in my pressure. I run to Christ in my need. I run to Christ in my sin. And when I do, he comes alongside and lifts the load. And we experiencing him in ways that we never have before. And it begins to build a story in our life. And he does that three ways, really, through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. And when those God begins to speak to us and lift us and carry us and redirect our lives, it changes us. It transforms us. I remember years ago uh, in a church I was in and in the 80s, and we were in a massive battle for the soul of that church. And uh, it, was, it was really intense whether or not we were going to stand on the Word of God or, 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 or forsake it. And uh, I won't go into the details, but I had death threats. That's how that kind of <laughs> says it in a sentence about how intense it got. And it went on for about 18 months. And I was a young pastor. And I couldn't, you know, I'd go to bed and the wheels were turning and I just couldn't sleep. I had to get before the Lord every day. It was just crushing me and say, God, I can't, I, I can't breathe. I literally felt, felt like I just couldn't breathe. And I said, Lord, you have got to help me. And he's so faithful. Uh, every morning I would receive a fresh word from his lips. And when I'd get that word, you know, I remember one day when I was being attacked by men and, and, the, and the Lord just said to me through Proverbs, look, they're going to dig a pit for you and they're going to fall into it. They're going to be ensnared with the words of their own mouth, which is exactly what happened, by the way. So the word just lifted me. But more than that, he came alongside and lifted the load and I came to experience him. I've often said about that season, I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. That's where I saw God. That's where I met Jesus in ways that I had never met him before and saw the reality that it's possible to live a life of great intimacy with Jesus Christ. So what happens? Pressure comes, 
and then just put it at kind of two o'clock in your mind, and then the comfort of God comes. He comes alongside and lifts the load, and we start to experience in him. And then around four o'clock, you can put this word, understanding. So when you start walking with God, you begin to see the truth. You begin to understand some things about pressures in your life and about yourself and about the world and about him. And and just in to kind of exegete this passage a little bit, notice four or five truths that you learn that you don't you don't learn any other way but in suffering. First of all, you learn that pressure or suffering is common. It's just common. When we when we get under a load, we just think, well, there's nobody else that's been through this but me. Well, the Bible says that's simply not true, right? The Bible says there's no temptation or trial uh, that's overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, there's other people. I don't don't need to wallow in self-pity. Secondly, though, that pressure has a purpose. Several times in in this passage I just read uh, and following, Paul uses a little phrase. It's translated in New American Standard Translation, so that I had this pressure so that this would happen, so that this would happen, so that this would happen. In other words, there is a divine purpose in all of this. James talks about this in James 1 when he says, uh, Consider it joy, my brethren, when you fall into various kinds of trials, knowing that this produces patience, which is faith that's really uh, stretched out. So I can rejoice in a trial. Why? Because I know there's a purpose. I know there's going to develop something in me. And God wants to, look at this, do something in us so that he can do something through us for his glory. Uh, Not only is there a great purpose, but there's another thing you realize when you're under that pressure, any kind of pressure in your life and and trial and difficulty, temptation. Uh, the third thing is I realize I am helpless. I'm helpless. Uh, he, Paul says in verse 8, I despaired of my life. I, th- I thought I was going to die. I, it took me right to the end of myself. Now, you know why this is so important? Because we never run to God till we know we can't do it on our own. And sometimes the Lord brings pressure in our lives to kind of push out all of that self-dependency, some of that smug self-reliance that we think, man, I got this. I can handle my life. I'm the captain of my own soul. Well, we have a word for that in Arkansas, where I'm from, hogwash. (laughs) It's absolutely uh, impossible. And your whole life... God is trying to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will turn and cry out to him. And this is when real reviving takes place, is when I recognize I'm helpless. You know, I think of the illustration of Moses who, who uh, was high up in, in the, the uh, Egyptian court and uh, thought he could do anything. So he went out one day and thought, I'm going to deliver my people, and I'm going to do it by killing one Egyptian at a time and burying him in the sand. Didn't work real good. 
he ends up on the backside of the desert. And finally, when God got him ready, uh, he appeared to him and said, Moses, I want you to go lead my people. His, his response 40 years before would have been, great, God, I've got a plan. I can do this. Now he says, Lord, I can't. I can't. And God comes to him and says, hey, Moses, I am. I am. You say, what, what, do you, what do you mean? I am strength. I am wisdom. I am the leader. I've got a plan. I am. You're not. I am. It took 40 years to get Moses to that point of dependency. So we realize this truth in suffering, right? I mean, that we don't, we don't realize any other way. And then <clears throat> here's a fourth thing we learn is that God is the source. He says he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And finally, number five, God is sufficient, right? He's the father of all mercies. He's the God of all comfort. He can come along and come along and, and help you in any situation of life. There's nothing, there's there's no demand made upon your life that's not made upon the Christ who lives within you. And he is absolutely sufficient. So here we are. We have these pressures, temptations, problems, difficulties, you name it. We turn to the Lord and he comes alongside and we experience him. And then we start learning things. And the whole purpose of that exercise with Christ is to bring him, we can put this about six o'clock at the bottom of that circle, to trust. It, it, Paul says uh, in verse eight he's and nine and 10, he said, I despaired even of life so that my trust would not be in myself, but in God. You know, everything in life is about faith. Everything. I, I, I talk to my kids all the time and they're facing some deal and I'll empathize and I'll talk to them about it, maybe next steps. But it, before we get off the, com the telephone call, I'll say this. Now, you know what this is about. This whole thing is about faith. This whole thing is God bringing you to the end of yourself, to recognition of his sufficiency so that your trust will be in him. You will depend upon him and not on yourself. This whole cycle is designed to get us in a posture where we're usable to him. Because the next thing on the cycle, we could put this about, uh, about eight o'clock, is ministry. Paul says in this passage over and over again, all this happened to us so we could help you. <laughs> All this happened to me so that I would have a real life message and a real understanding, and I could turn around and give it to you. And I'm the one that brings Christ to you, his comfort to you, his help to you. And then finally, and we can put this about 10 o'clock on the circle, multiplication, so that I bring it to you and then you bring it to others, right? And that's how this spreads. So, so when we think about revival and the spread of revival, uh, God's going to use our weakness 
and our running to him, our transparent honesty to bring us to the end of ourself and to a fresh trust so that, right, he can turn around and open our mouths and use us with a message of his goodness and grace. And I'm so excited today. I got one of my dear friends uh, in the studio here with us and Brent Wakefield. And Brent, great to have you with us, man. Great to be here. And Brent uh, has quite a story. <laughs> we talked about Abel's story a minute ago, but but you have quite a story. And and uh, just to kind of cut through the first years of your life, uh, Brent was in the military. He was a, a, a lawyer and became a very successful lawyer, a partner in a law firm. And uh, But what people didn't know uh, you had a wonderful family, have a wonderful family, was there was a backstory. There was stuff going on in your life uh, that nobody knew about and was really drowning you and drowning your family. Tell us about that just a little bit. Yeah, so um, from from the time that I was a kid, I just learned to be very, very comfortable in hiding things and mm. became really, really good at it. Um, and that carried on into my teens, uh, into my twenties and thirties and, um, even into marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we came to, uh, you know, summit church, uh, 2007 and I had all that stuff packed away mm -hmm. and nobody knew about it. Uh, and it's very difficult to make true friends when you've got all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You don't want to, uh, you afraid they get too close. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they're going to find out the truth. And so you either become the sarcastic, cynical, funny man, which is kind of the role that I tried to play a little bit mm -hmm. uh, to keep guys at bay. Uh, but I did have a few good friends, uh, but really felt like I was on the fringes um, of, of church life, really. Mm -hmm. uh, even led some small groups. Uh, mm -hmm. during this time. And, you know, not to say that the Lord can't speak through you when you have some things going on like that, sure. but um, nowhere near what he can do when all that stuff finally comes out. And mm -hmm. so uh, I was, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, the term closet alcoholic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would even add to that, I think I was a little bit of a, a naive alcoholic or ignorant. I didn't mm -hmm. really know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um you know, once you got married, I couldn't continue with the life that I had before that. And so I would, uh, it would stifle, you know, my drinking and I would have to plan it, um, for business trips and times that I'm away. And mm -hmm. so it was just very much a cycle of, of hiddenness and trying mm -hmm. not to, to let anyone know that that was going on. So, you know, none of my, didn't drink in public, didn't drink socially with my partners of my firm. Mm -hmm. Um, it was all on my own. Wow. Um, did Emily, did your wife, Emily, no, or did she know the extent of it? She did not know the extent of it. She did know a little bit uh, mm -hmm. about it. She would catch me here and there. Yeah. Uh, but again, I kind of felt like it was, uh, you know, just a, maybe I'm not being uh, religious enough or, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know. I, I just really was, I, I say naive. I just didn't mm -hmm. know what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I knew I had to keep it hidden. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I did. Control. Absolutely control that. And it's funny um, you know, you started reading from that passage in Second Corinthians, and I don't know, you probably won't remember this, but it, this, I have that passage underlined and marked out to the side, April 13, 2013 in my Bible, because that is the exact passage that God started speaking to me. 
um, at Pettigene at the men's retreat, Wow, uh, which wow. was really the first time that I had ever mm-hmm. stood up and told a group of men that I was struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that that was kind of even the beginning of the unraveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so just now as you're, you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I want to think that it was just one moment, but it really wasn't. It mm-hmm. was, it was a process and it was, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe it even started in April of 2013, wow. uh, where you can, you know, we're uh, a moment where God just prompted me to tell a group of men what mm-hmm. I was struggling with. Mm-hmm. And it didn't all go away yeah. immediately. Uh, and it continued on for a couple of years until like you were talking about pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some immense pressure from things that were happening at work. Uh, and then just the compounding nature of the sin that was boiling up and being pushed down inside me, but it started boiling up right? Uh, and got to a point where I really couldn't hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only at that point of the pressure that I was able to, you know, sit down with at least one other man at the time and go through all of it mm-hmm. and really unload everything. And just get totally transparent, totally oh, honest about it. Well, I don't even know if I was totally honest about I, yeah. I was as honest as I could possibly be in the yeah. moment. Yes. Um, and so that was, that was very, very freeing, you know, mm-hmm. to take, and I've heard you talk about this as well, but, you know, I went through a, a program where you take sheets of paper and you write down things, people you've harmed, resentments you've had, fears you've had, mm-hmm. and then even sexual encounters throughout mm-hmm. your life. And to mm-hmm. write all that down on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and to say that out loud to another man, right. uh, and then to go and burn all those pieces of paper on your back porch was very, very freeing. Yeah. Uh, freeing Isn't that moment. awesome? And, and God, uh, through this process, again, it started with, uh, if I'm hearing you right, Brent, and I remember correctly, with, with baby steps of transparency mm-hmm. that brought you to a full disclosure. Uh, and, that, and then the grace of God. You know, I've often thought uh, the Bible says God resists the proud. So as long as we say, I got this, I got it covered, uh, God says, okay, you know. Try it. Try it, and you don't get any grace. But but he gives grace to the humble. So humility is admitting my sin and my need. And that's that's humility. So when you came to that point of, of humility, you could never have overcome that alcoholism mm-hmm. uh, or anything else without grace. And the, the grace uh, ambulances kind of start speeding to your... Absolutely. to your life and God delivered you from that and uh, which just we just want to stop and say to anybody listening here who's struggling with that God can deliver you but uh, it's going to take some transparency and it's certainly going to take the grace of God and some others alongside of you absolutely now out of that just to move the story forward a little bit God began to give you ministry to others. And how did that how did that start happening after this? Yeah, so um, I, with the experience that I just told you about with the other man going through all that, just one guy, mm-hmm. I thought I was done. Yeah, that's uh, right. Never have to do that never again. Never do that again. <laughs> Don't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, and then God uh, brought me to a, another retreat type event that uh, that we were having here at the church, uh, a four day four night event. Uh, where you really talk about your story. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was really the first time that I had ever 
gone back. I'd done the other thing kind of in pieces, mm-hmm. uh, but this was the first time that I had ever started from from zero and gone all the way through mm-hmm. uh, and kind of felt the weight and the inertia of mm-hmm. all that was going on in my life mm-hmm. uh, to that point and did so uh, among a group of brothers from the church mm-hmm. uh, who honestly didn't know. So uh, it's like eight guys who were mm-hmm. Kind of leading the retreat and eight guys who were going through it, going through it. Yeah. Uh, And so they were some of my, you know, at the time I would have considered and still do consider Mm -hmm. them some of my best friends, but they didn't know a lot of this stuff. It's amazing. Uh, And so went through that experience. Absolutely loved it. God, um, you know, it was one of those moments where um, I think when you finally clear all that out, Mm -hmm. you just you erase all the clutter between here and heaven. And it may be the first time that you can really hear the Lord speak. Wow. And so that weekend, um, God spoke some things to me that weren't even on my radar. Uh, so without going into the whole story, I was baptized that weekend hmm. uh, in a river in January. Uh, there you go. And, uh, it's a moment that I will absolutely never forget. Wow. Uh, and and honestly, since that time, nothing, nothing has been the same. Wow. Um, and so he took uh, just another long story, but it, you know, to, to bring it to where we are today, I'm I'm somewhat in the de facto leader of this uh, ministry, right? Uh, where we've taken about 130 guys through and just seen the Lord really speak to men's hearts and do this thing of unraveling them mm-hmm. uh, and really showing honesty and transparency uh, to the point that you know guys will say, can't think of how many times I've heard it. I'm mm-hmm. about to tell you something that I've never told another man before in my life. Wow. Uh, and I it, it, I still have to sit back and think, how in the world does this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, how does God take a guy who doesn't talk about anything and keeps it all shut away? Um, and then in his providence and a little bit of his humor, mm-hmm. um, you know, drops me into the middle of a ministry that's all about getting everything out into the open. Yeah. Uh, and there's... Absolutely no way I could ever lead something like that, having not experienced it myself. Oh yeah, that, um, you wouldn't even gone to there, it. There's no way. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I would have. I would have left midway through, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just such a beautiful picture of this cycle that he he takes us through this pressure so that it pushes us to him, and we learn to trust in him. Mm-hmm. But there's that spot where we think, okay, I've been delivered. Good, I'll go live my life as a free man. But that's not the agenda with God. I mean, He He wants to use us. And Brent, I just watch you just blossom and explode as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to so many dozens and dozens and dozens of men. Uh, and I know if I say, well, you need to talk to Brent Wakefield. I know where that's going, and I know you're going to get down to the core of that man's life, and you do it by telling your story. You've told that story now probably hundreds of Mm -hmm. times, and uh, you probably thought in the past, well, I'll never tell this to anybody. (laughs) But I imagine as you, as you, the more you share the story, you you lose the the shame and the uh, sense of fear about telling it. to just a joy because it magnifies God uh, so much. So beautiful, man. And now what's cool is uh, we have a whole whole, uh, pile of men who are telling their story. Your life has multiplied uh, in extraordinary ways, and you're leading our men's ministry here at the church. And 
and just doing an incredible mm. job. Thanks. Well, praise the Lord, man. And uh, I just want to say thanks for coming in today. And 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 what we need across um, America is this kind of um, pressure that pushes us to God, that brings us to uh, transparency and trust. And would you would you take a minute and just pray for that for us? I, absolutely. And can I say one thing before I do that? Yeah. So. Um, this idea of pressure, like yeah. you, you, you hear that story and maybe you think, wow, he's just really living out his dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in ways, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but God doesn't stop uh, allowing got a pressure, new pressure into our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, allows that uh, a new pressure. And so I was diagnosed with kidney cancer last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a whole new road, uh, mm-hmm. a whole new process. Um, and it's, you know, developed into stage four. And so even as I'm going through this ministry now, there's a whole different mindset to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what God is doing now is really pushing my, my entire focus into an eternal perspective on, mm-hmm. on every little day. Yeah. Um, and so I was happy Well, I was, you know, I had gone yeah. through all that stuff and I was, you know, leading these retreats and yeah. everything was going just great. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, bam. Yeah. Um, you know, new pressure comes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that paraclete, that spirit that comes alongside mm-hmm. continues to do so even in those times. So uh, the, this, that, that pattern's still the same. Absolutely. It? Yeah. yeah on keep, just a deeper level. Yeah. So there, there's not a reaching the pinnacle and being done with that pattern. Mm-hmm. It's just always continuing over and over. But, you know, I found, uh, Brent, with each successive turn through that cycle, I learned uh, I learned to just rest in his sovereignty a little more. Mm-hmm. I know uh, the death of our grandson uh, a year, less than a year ago. Uh, as I came into that, having been through a lot of stuff, I was at a whole different place mm-hmm. of trust than I had ever been. And it was easy. I don't want it wasn't easy, but it was easier because I just thought the Lord knows what he's doing. We can trust him, mm-hmm. and uh, and God gives us a season of life, and God used his 10 years, uh, Carter's 10 years, mm-hmm. in an extraordinary way for the kingdom, and uh, and we're all headed to heaven where we'll be there with a happy, healthy, whole body forever and ever. Amen. Your, your black hair may even come back <laughs> after. <laughs> he didn't used to have a Moses beard. It was used to, used to be a little black, mm-hmm. so anyway— so and uh, we're we're praying for you during this time. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. So lead us in a for all of our listeners today. Just lead us in a word of prayer that the Lord would take us here. Even mm-hmm. today, somebody may be listening mm-hmm. that needs to go deep. Yeah. Absolutely. So Father, we um, we come to you and just confess and admit and joyfully exclaim that um, without your Holy Spirit prompting our hearts, we will never go to this place. We will never um, be transparent. And we will never be honest. And our default is always just to hide. And uh, Lord, that's been there ever since you saw it first in the garden. Uh, and so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just invade the lives of uh, the listeners of this podcast and of members of the Church of Christ and Jesus, uh, all Bible-believing churches, Lord, that uh, you would invade those places and that you would uh, literally undo the straps of the yoke and 
set a pressman free from these things. Mm-hmm. So God, I pray that your spirit would bring a, a just a renewed fire of um, transparency among people and that we would begin to see uh, sin confessed. We would begin to see struggles announced, uh, Lord, and we would begin to experience just the grace and love and freedom that is found when um, we express those things and in a, in a group of believers who all trust in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, God, I pray that you would give uh, your church the faith in your son to say the hard things that need to be said. Lord, I pray that we would never have those things that we would say we can't talk about them because uh, they're just too too hard or um, just too far in the past, Lord. But I pray that we would believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so Amen. much that we would never leave one stone unturned. Amen. Uh, that men and women would exclaim these things and then run to you, Lord, uh, for their entire lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brent, so much Thank for being on the podcast. And thank you for joining us today. And uh, let's pray that God would send a revival of transparency and dependency all across our nation. We'll see you next week.